Hello, Theologizers. It's been a while, but we are back. I'm Ben. And I'm Brett. And this week, we are going to be discussing the theology of Gladiator. The movie Gladiator from 2000, starring Russell Crowe. One of mine and Ben's favorite movies. We both have always loved this movie. It's so epic. It uh, has so many great human and spiritual themes in it. it we thought it would be a perfect movie yeah. to uh, discuss as, as our first episode dedicated to a film. So this is us kind of basically moving in to what hopefully will be the more typical kind of episode, which is more of a theology and pop culture related stuff. But every once in a while, we'll have episodes that are unhinged, proper theology episodes, like our last Calvinist one. That's the beauty of the podcast. We can take it in a lot of different directions and hit on a lot of different topics. So yeah. um, it gives us a, a big well, a, a deep well, a supply of um, episodes, ideas for episodes for a long time to come. Um, so we'll start off uh, before we get into the the Gladiator uh, episode proper. We'll just give you a brief overview of the plot, Ben, if you want to take it away. Oh man, put me on the spot. Very brief synopsis, although most people have seen the movie, is so there's uh, a Roman soldier, uh, Maximus, Roman general, Maximus Decimus Meridius, and he basically he's out on campaign under the rule of Marcus Aurelius, who in real life, um, I study philosophy, so I like Marcus Aurelius because he was actually a great Stoic philosopher of the late Roman period. Anyway, so he's fictionalized in the movie, right? So he's out on campaign under Marcus Aurelius, but Marcus Aurelius is nearing the end of his life. And although he's an emperor and Rome at the time is an, is an empire, he wants it ideally to return to a republic. And so he wants Maximus to basically be his heir when he dies and transitioning Rome back into a republic, as opposed to his proper heir, his son, Commodus, because he thinks that his, his son Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is too corrupt <laughs> and vicious. He doesn't have enough virtue to trust to help return Rome back to its original glory and to a republic. There is one more duty that I ask of you before you go home. What would you have me do, Caesar? I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. I will empower you to one end alone, to give power back to the people of Rome and end the corruption that has crippled it. Would you accept this great honor that I have offered you with all my heart now maximus that is why it must be you but surely a prefect a senator somebody who knows the city who understands her politics but you have not been corrupted by her politics and commodus commodus is not a moral man you have known that since you were young. Commodus cannot rule. He must not rule. So Commodus kind of finds out about this, and he ends up uh, murdering his father, Marcus Aurelius. Are you ready to do your duty for Rome? Yes, father. 
you will not be emperor. Which wiser old man is to take my place? My powers will pass to Maximus to hold in trust until the Senate is ready to rule once more. Rome is to be a republic again. My decision disappoints you? What is this enemy you hate so much? All I've ever wanted was to live up to Caesar. Father. Maximus quickly realizes he needs to <laughs> try to get out of there. So he goes back to his his homestead, his farm in Spain, and he finds that Commodus is, he's, she's trying to prevent Maximus from ascending to the throne. And he's burned his farm and murdered his family. So then Maximus, through a series of events, he finds himself picked up kind of on accident as a slave. He's kind of, he's picked up and sold into slavery as a gladiator. Gladiators were slaves, slave fighters. And he kind of uh, slowly starts to work his way up in the provinces through the different gladiatorial matches. But his ultimate goal is he's trying to get to the Roman Colosseum in Rome. So he can face Commodus and ideally somehow take Commodus down. He's kind of winging it and help to again restore Rome to her public is the ultimate goal. And all the while Commodus um, in his ascent to the throne after Marcus Aurelius dies displays how kind of corrupt he is in his character and how dismissive of the people he is. He kind of just wants to distract them with, you know, a hundred days or whatever, however many days or months of, of games uh, to kind of distract people from the economic and other social problems that are affecting Rome. On this day, we reach back to hallowed antiquity to bring you a recreation of the second fall of mighty Carthage. Yeah, so that's the kind of big picture overview. And in the end, Maximus finally is able to face Commodus in the Colosseum. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, 
And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And kills him, but he himself is also killed in the process. says to Commodus's sister that it was Marcus Aurelius's dying wish that Rome be restored to a republic. So then Maximus finally dies and enters into what in Greco-Roman mythology is called Elysium Fields, which is the kind of idyllic afterlife um, for heroes in that mythology. There was a dream that was Rome. It shall be realized. These are the wishes of Marcus Aurelius. Free the prisoners! Go! And we'll get into this more later, but the, the kind of theme of Elysium Fields is touched on intermittently throughout the film. And these kind of like visions and dreams, where, and Elysium Fields is also kind of associated with Maximus returning home or being reunited with his family. I think that's a good uh, brief overview. So uh, without further ado, the Theo Bros proudly present their Gladiator episode. All right. Let's start off with what was your, how old were you, Brett? And what was your uh, visceral experience like when you first watched Gladiator? Start off with some impressionistic stuff. So I was probably around, well, when it first came out, I was, I was still a little young. I, I didn't see the movie. It came out in 2000. I didn't see the movie till a few years later, maybe about five six years after it came out and when i finally saw it i was in that perfect age i think to take in a movie like this i was 18 19 years old young very optimistic about um life and and, and you know dreaming big and and just on, on the verge of, of entering adulthood and um, that's when I first saw Gladiator, and it made a, a, a very significant impact on me. And I can probably articulate why it did now a lot better than I could have uh, when I first watched it. I just know that it made a big impression on me, that yeah. I really felt deeply when I watched the movie. And looking back on it now, I, I, I think that's because it really centered around Maximus as the, the uh, central character in the film and uh, him representing the man that I wanted to become. He, he represented kind of an idyllic version, not, e not even idyllic, but um, the man that I, I think most boys most men want to grow into at some point yeah, in their life the, the honorable hero yes your classic honorable hero that suffers greatly throughout the movie but 
perseveres every step of the way and and it is redeemed out of that suffering um it, in a lot of ways it's your classic hero's journey from starting uh on top starting with everything kind of going the way of the hero and then the story taking a quick turn and and, and the hero um being put in a very um lowly dangerous um suffering type position and then working his way out of that and that normally happens over a journey and it does in this movie it's his journey from being the lead general in rome to a slave to the gladiator a gladiator who almost represents a the leader in rome because he he was able to get all of the population of the roman empire on his side as a slave as a gladiator and eventually fully redeeming rome to her glory through his ultimate sacrifice and i think just his sacrifice um at the end of the movie made a big impression on me and i'm getting a little long-winded on it but i think the the reason it made such a big impression on me it's all i think mainly centers around maximus's character um i remember thinking when i was younger i i want to be that i knew that i was not that (laughs) very far from that um, but I, I, I thought that that is the goal. You know, that's what a good man looks like. That's what a righteous man looks like. That's what a hero looks like. Yeah, the movie, it's also epic. I mean, the story is great. The acting, the characters are awesome. I mean, this, the soundtrack is beautiful. It's very cinematic. I love that it's a period piece that takes place in ancient Rome. Um, Ridley Scott just directed the crap out of this movie so it just i don't know as a young boy like the this was huge for me and it still ranks as probably in my top five movies of all time yeah what about you ben when did you first see gladiator well, i reckon it was probably around the same time i guess i was like 14 or 15 or something like that and i had the same you know same sort of experience same general kind of period of life so i don't have much to add to that um, I, I do think, and you already were kind of starting to touch on this. I think it's one of those films kind of like Lord of the Rings and other films where a lot of people see the film and they view it in a certain way because, and they experience it in a certain way. That's kind of at its surface level of meaning. And it's kind of the surface level of, of like, it's being a kind of cinematic, okay, here's the story. Here's what happens. Here's some cool action stuff. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the but the way that I kind of ex- experienced it from the beginning and more so over the years as I revisited it was actually much more as a spiritual kind of film and one yeah. that ha- had almost a kind of, especially with, with the music that Hans Zimmer did for it, uh, that has a, a kind of numinous, um, almost mystical, spiritual allegory kind of aspect to it, you know? Yeah. It's like the, the the mode, I guess, in which I enjoyed it and continue to enjoy it. Although, again, the, the surface level stuff is cool. Like, I, you know, I love the good action sequences and how they portray Rome and all that stuff is really cool. Um, but it's more of the underlying, yeah, like themes of of restoration and Elysium and longing for home and how those are woven together that I think are like the main reason it's such a compelling film to me, at least. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's because of those 
deeper um, spiritual elements that it has to. I think that's why it's resonated with so many people because you see other movies that are kind of similar in um, genre and, and even others that Ridley Scott has directed that had kind of a similar feel to that, like Kingdom of Heaven, Robin Hood, some others that just did not hit the public the same way. <laughs> Robin Hood. Yeah. What a tragedy. I was pulling for that one. I was too. Which would together make you both stronger. But the, I think the reason that is, I mean, other than probably not the greatest directing job, maybe not as good acting or just the basic story, but a lot of those I think are more hollowed out movies. Yeah. Where Gladiator feels very full spiritually, but it also has everything else that the, the casual movie goer wants in a movie. Great action, yeah. uh, great music, great uh, cinematography, yeah. special effects, all working together. But there's a reason gladiator got best picture in 2000 that russell crowe got best actor that had so many accolades and so many people reference it as one of their favorite movies i think it's because we resonated with this the deeper spiritual aspect of the movie and, and it goes back to uh, people know when they're engaging with beauty with truth they're drawn to it and that's why me and Ben were drawn to this movie. I think that's why most people are. And it's gotten so, you know, most people, I keep on saying most people, a lot of people, um, I think especially a lot of men love this movie because of the reasons I stated earlier. I think we all want to be Maximus. And um, it's funny because uh, John Eldridge, the, um, mm-hmm. the author of Wild at Heart, which was a huge book about, um, the Christian spiritual life and journey of men uh, references the gladiator many times in that book. Oh, really? I'm kind of hitting on what we're describing. Uh, 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 us as men are wired a certain way. We want the adventure. We want to take risks. We want the journey. Mm-hmm. We want to be tested Right. And that's all Maximus's journey. And, and, and he passes the test and he stays in the fight throughout the whole movie and, and, and stays diligent and, and stays true to himself and his values. And he's a family man and he sacrifices. And I think the road of a true godly man is not an easy one, but we all want it because it's not easy. Yeah. So. I've always looked at Gladiator when I watch it. I always like reflect it back on my life because it shows life, the good and the bad, especially the the bad and the difficult, but how beauty can come of that and how that is actually a beautiful thing to suffer the way Maximus does because it just refines him as a person. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, so let's start getting into some more specific, I guess, kind of aspects of the, the theological dimensions of the film. So the first I thought would be interesting to discuss is the theme of justice in Gladiator. So here's my general question, I guess I'm going to throw out. So how, how do you think Gladiator reflects, reflects theological truth about justice or in what ways might it fail to reflect a kind of proper Christian conception of justice? What are your first thoughts on that? Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. That's a that's a tough one. I think the the overarching theme, and I think this is is 
can be related to justice is redemption. Mm -hmm. It's the redemption of a man. So I think that aspect really plays in to what I believe is God's justice. Mm -hmm. It's redeeming people. And however that redemption takes place, it depends. It probably depends on the person. It depends on what the, the individual human being needs. But I would say that 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 the one area that gladiator or, or the, the area that gladiator gets justice right is redeeming um, many of the characters within the movie. And a lot of the, the redeeming comes through suffering. So going back to God's justice, I would say that God's justice, the, the purpose of God's justice is, is, is for us to realize our sin, uh, to look it in the face. And then that being the starting point for us going on the journey to redeem ourselves out of that sin and into God's image and into how the image of who we were originally created to be. Mm -hmm. And you see that journey with Maximus first and foremost. You see it with some of the other characters in the movie, one of which is Proximo, which is the he, he's the, he's the owner of of the group of gladiators that Maximum's a part of. He's an ex gladiator himself as well. Um, I won't get into too much of the detail of his plot, but he is redeemed. I am Proximo. I shall be closer to you for the next few days, which will be the last of your miserable lives than that bitch of a mother that brought you screaming into this world. I did not pay good money for you for your company. I paid it so that I could profit from your death. And as your mother was there at your beginning, so I shall be there at your end. And when you die, and die you shall, your transition shall be to the sound of... Gladiators, I salute you. Um, you see it being redeemed to Maximus's good friend, uh, his fellow gladiator. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but um, his best friend in the gladiator troop is being redeemed as well, who was sold into slavery. It's somewhere out there, my country, my home. My wife is preparing food. My daughters carry water from the river. Will I ever see them again? I think not. Do you believe you'll see them again when you die? I think so. But then, I will die soon. They will not die for many years. I'll have to wait. But you would wait. Of course. And it just happens on so many different levels. So I think that's where the movie gets justice right. I think where we would have to take a, take maybe a step back and, and and think about another aspect of the justice is is the story arc of Commodus, who is the corrupt emperor, the son of Marcus Aurelius, as Ben mentioned earlier. Um, this guy's an evil dude, and justice is presented as far in, in, within his characters, Maximus killing him very intimately in the gladiator ring with a knife right into the throat. Yeah. looking in his eyes a very violent um killing for maximus to give commodus at the end so that would put more i would maybe take a step back from that even though it's extremely satisfying to see in the movie 
that sort of justice is almost um, tick for tap. You know, you did a wrong, therefore you get wronged. Ultimately, we don't see any sort of hope at the end of the movie for Commodus's ultimate redemption. We just see him get murdered. So that's where I would yeah. say, well, I don't know if that's God's justice. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It seems like there are two, yeah, there are two themes operating throughout the movie of justice that are different and intention, like you're saying. So there's a kind of theme of like a restorative justice with Maximus and with Rome. But there is this alternate, and with Proximo, but there's this alternate theme of retributive justice, right? And kind yeah. of getting what you deserve sort of thing um, for Commodus. I mean, I think there are different ways we could think about Commodus in the theological way. I think one way is to think about him, again, as as just a human being and having a, an arc of retributive justice as a human being. But another way we might look about, at Commodus, and this just occurred to me, is as a kind of Satan figure, as a kind yeah. of uh, usurper. Although in a certain sense, right, he ha has a legitimate claim to the throne. Um, he becomes an usurper by abusing that authority and helping yep. to kind of and language of Paul, right? He's kind of holding Rome in bondage, right? To sin and death and to decay and corruption. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So I think we could also view, yeah, I guess the the motif involved with Commodus as the kind of spiritual us usurpation of Satan and fallen angels. You definitely could. Yeah. In um, which case, again, if, if Maximus has a kind of Christ figure sacrifice aspect to him, we could allegorize the the final battle between him and Commodus yeah. in terms of the kind of Christus Victor getting rid of the usurper and restoring proper rule. You could you could definitely look at a lot of the film as as Christian allegory, and I I think that goes with a lot of movies out there. There are so many movies with Christ like figures and Christ like journeys. Yeah, I think we're much more tied in and aware of that truth as just a general consciousness or drawn to that than people realize. Yeah. Um, well, I got one for you, Benny boy. All right. Um, let's bring it into, I mean, we already touched on this a little bit, but let's bring in the, the themes of suffering and hope. You got Maximus's quest after his, his family is murdered and his quest is driven by, by hope to see them again in the afterlife. So you have that hope at play there. His, his good friend, I think his name's Juba, actually. Yeah. Maximus's best friend in the gladiator troop. Um, he's kind of the man who's always reminding Commodus of his purpose and of what he needs to do. Whenever <laughs> I, when, when Commodus doubts himself at times, even though Commodus, why do I keep on saying Commodus? I meant Maximus. <laughs> Maximus. I'm so sorry. When Maximus keeps doubting himself, Juba's always there to kind of steer him in the right direction. As, as strong as of a character Maximus is, he still has moments of weakness like any man. Every man has flaws. Every man has moments of weakness. And I think Juba always being there for Maximus and, and reminding him to cling to that hope shows a real strong, I think, biblical truth. Yeah. That none of us can go through this life alone. No matter how strong we think we are, we need community. We need good people in our lives to remind us of the hope that we have in, in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think another aspect of that is, again, much like with the, with the Christian life, something Juba emphasizes to Maximus is the delayed nature of our hope and how God has his own providential purposes in delaying the fulfillment of our hope. 
right? Like it will be fulfilled, right? Christ will return. We will be brought home and things will be made right. But that's not necessarily on our own time. Yeah. Which is why, you know, Juba consistently has this kind of refrain to Maximus, right? Of, right, you'll see them again and you'll see your family again, but not yet. Yes. You have something to accomplish. You see, my wife and my son are already waiting for me. You'll meet them again. Not yet. Not yet. Yes. Not yet. Not yet. And in the meantime, you're walking, Maximus is walking a path of deep suffering. I mean, he comes from, I mean, he's a hardened, tough guy from, from years of being a general in, in warfare. But he is thrown into the pits of Roman society and into uh, as a slave. Gladiators, as Ben said earlier, are, are they are they're slaves. They have no freedom. They are all they do is they're in bondage and they train to fight and they hope they survive the gladiator ring when they get in there. And that's their only hope of survival. I mean, a very brutal life. So Maxus is thrown into the pits of Rome and suffers greatly and he not only suffers himself physically but he also suffers anguish from from his family's murder his family was brutally murdered and at the beginning of the movie that's like you, you learn how much maximus loves his family how much he loves his home in spain when he's talking to marcus aurelius in the, in the early scenes of the movie he, he just says i can't wait to go home Marcus Aurelius asked him to describe home. And then you see Gladiator just, you see his whole spirit just becomes overflowing with joy as he describes his family and his farm and that, that life. You have a son. Tell me about your home. My house is in the hills above Tehillo. Very simple place. Pink stones that warm in the sun. Uh, kitchen garden that smells of herbs in the day. Jasmine in the evening. Through the gate is a giant poplar. Pigs, apples, pears, the soil. Marcus, black. Black like my wife's hair. <laughs> Grapes on the south slopes, olives on the north. Wild ponies playing in my house. They tease my son, he wants to be one of them. Remember the last time you were home? Two years, 264 days, and this morning. I envy you, Maximus. It was a good home. Um, so he's suffering deeply with the loss of his home and his family as well. But as we, as we see, as we watch the movie go on and the plot go on and eventually the end, that even though the suffering can seem, can seem like there's, you know, it can seem like there's no hope when you're in the midst of that kind of suffering, that it's at play in Maximus's spirit throughout the whole movie it's 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 building him up into a a greater man a more humble man a more a strong man in many ways and that's what suffering can do if we treat it correctly and we walk that path with god and let him work through it so um that's that you know hope and suffering are both huge themes in throughout the movie yeah yeah and that's another thing that paul really emphasizes in his letters is how we're perfected 
through suffering, right? Suffering produces perseverance in us. Yeah. How we have to be united to, to Christ's suffering. We can't be raised with Christ if we didn't also suffer with him. Right? Yeah, we have a God who suffers. And I don't think that's an angle a lot of people a lot of people take when they're thinking of, of God in the general sense or even thinking of Christ or the Christian God. I mean, they know that he suffered on the cross, but he's a God who suffers daily with his children, yeah. with us. He's within our suffering. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a pretty, a pretty mind blowing fact. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that's something that other religions would not say about their God. I think that's actually a very distinct quality to um, our Christ like God is that he is within our suffering. He suffers with us. He's a suffering God. Yeah. Part of his, his, his loving nature is to walk through our highs and our lows as his children. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been really fascinated by that, the passage in Paul where he says, um, I, I fill up in my body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. Which to me indicates again, this kind of mystical way in which the, the church as the body of Christ, that Christ continues in the, in the body of his church to suffer. Yeah. And it's that kind of suffering mm -hmm. of solidarity with his people. Yes. Gives us great hope that we're, we truly are never alone. God's not just like with us standing beside us, but he's like, he's like on the inside of our situations. It's a, it's a very intimate a union that he has with us through, through our, through our life journey. Yeah. Well, kind of dovetailing off of what you're saying about that scene where Maximus is describing home. Um, to me, that kind of leads us into the, this other theme in Gladiator that we've already started to touch on a little bit, which is the theme of mystical longing. I love this topic. I know, too. <laughs> so throughout the movie, there's, there seems to be this kind of motif of mystical longing for Elysium, again, conceived of as a return to home. And also how, and this is spoken more at the beginning of the movie, right? How everything, you know, here below only makes sense in light of eternity, right? So Maximus has yeah. this iconic phrase where he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Then you have to say it in the Maximus voice. We can't get through this podcast without some impressions. <laughs> what we do in life echoes in eternity. Perfect. So that that makes me think of, again, C.S. Lewis's concept of joy or zenzot, which was his kind of term for this kind of uh, mystical longing for something that we've never experienced, but that it's seen, that comes through music and certain moments in nature and art and these sorts of things where all of a sudden we're kind of lifted out of ourselves and feel this kind of piercing ache for a home, but not any earthly home, anything we've ever experienced yeah. here. But it's like there's there's something missing, but it has this kind of ineffable mystical quality to yeah. it. So this refers to it in different ways. It's like the kind of tune hanging on the air, right, from a song we've never heard. Yeah. The wind coming to us from a far off country. Yeah, C.S. Lewis mentions this idea of, of joy or zinzuk many times in his writings. And I remember when I first read some of C.S. Lewis's quotes on this, it resonated so deeply with me because I knew exactly what he was talking about. I, I'm very affected by my environment. Um, I've always been real big on like creating good ambiance. That's, I, that's why I love music. That's why I love film. 
it just it, it evokes something in me when I'm engaging with a, a great story or a beautiful piece of music or travel and, and you get to see like the nature and, and it just evokes this there's certain moments where it just evokes this this longing for for something and and so I've definitely experienced what C.S. Lewis would describe it's almost like a heart ache for something that we know is true it's 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 really appropriate that we're that in gladiator we're, we're comparing this to elysium and, and maximus's longing for home it, it, it's an afterlife but it's it's an afterlife that's reflective of his spanish farm when they are cut back to it yeah. so it's it's almost like this beyond place but it's also home right the elysium that's, fields are the fields of his farm yeah so it's not like we're we have in those moments you don't feel like a longing for something that you're not familiar with that you couldn't pinpoint it it is something that you that you that's a mystery but it has a it has the central quality of like a, of home it feels right it feels like that's where i belong it, it doesn't feel like a strange place it right. feels it gives you a peace when you feel it because you know that it's where you're supposed to be and home is, is where you never always are. Right. And you're right. Yeah. It, it's connected to our experience here. Right. So you know, another thing Lewis says about it is right, our, our experience is always hinting at it. Yeah. So they're kind of like shadows and archetypes of it in our life, but they're just kind of, again, the language of scripture is seeing through a mirror darkly, but we kind of have this ache of longing to put on that glory, right. Become united to the source of all things, right. That's hinted at. Yeah in obscure ways in our life. So Ben, give me, give me one personal example of uh, an experience that you've had similar to gladiators experience of Elysium or home or joy Zinzuk. Just give me an example in your life that you can remember where you, that, that heartache and longing was evoked in you. Oh, there have been many. I feel like I've almost had an abnormal amount. <laughs> Lucky. But <laughs> Uh, I feel like it often, it kind of comes in waves and periods of life. Yeah. Like, I mean, the average experience obviously is not like that, but I feel like I've had certain kind of brief periods that'll happen with more frequency and then I won't experience it for a long time. Yeah. Of course, any description of it obviously will totally fail to communicate the kind of mystical quality of it, but. Of course, but you could still just tell us the what was happening when your your soul was lifted into the, those spheres i guess one of the main things is the the music and certain scenes from the lord of the rings movies which we'll talk about in more depth in the future yeah but to talk about something kind of more specific there's a certain uh, there's a certain like movement in the breaking of the fellowship music um at, towards the end of that movie where it just <laughs> has this like kind of like heartbreaking like bitter sweetness. It comes like a few minutes into that part of the score. It's it's around or right after in the movie when Sam goes out into the water after Frodo. Mm -hmm. um, so it's during that kind of ending sequence. But there's just something about, again, it's always a kind of, it's like a hint that kind of comes through things like this in certain moments, but it can't be identified with it. Yeah, and I'm not asking you to identify it. Yeah, I just so, it's, so it's not, and again, I, I think it's a hard thing to talk about because people who have experienced it, they'll kind of automatically know what you mean. But other people, they haven't quite experienced it or maybe they don't know how to 
describe it but it's i think everyone has they just they just don't they might not understand what you're talking about when you mention it but i feel like that's it's a universal human yeah it's not just it's not just an experience of beauty and it's not just like a, a general sense of longing or homesickness or whatever it's a very unique ineffable kind of experience it's very fleeting so it doesn't last very long you'll kind of feel it for just a few seconds and then it will kind of it would just kind of disappear into the wind so to speak um i remember one time for me and it just it was just random and this happened many times but this is one that i can remember off the top of my head i was um in washington dc at the uh air and space museum and um i bought a ticket i was by myself because it was a work trip and i bought a ticket to uh hubble 3d which was a 3d imax film about the hubble uh, telescope and there was a moment when i was watching it where we were we were flying through an image from hubble in three dimensions we had so you could see like stars coming at you there was there was this very epic like one of the supernovae yeah it it was like you're traveling through stars and you went on to a supernova i think and then you you kind of circled it but it 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 was so it felt so much like you were flying through space and just the grandioseness of of the cosmos and, the, and the, combined with the music. And there was a moment there where that feeling of joy just overtook me. And uh, that was a moment for me when that happened. So that that was my, that was an example of my Elysium. So we can definitely relate with Maximus on his longing for home and for, for the afterlife and for something you can't quite put your finger on, but you know you want it more than anything. Yeah, I, I forget if it's C.S. Lewis who said this or someone else, but just another example of this is, um, I think this is more of a universal thing that that most people have experienced: uh, the the watching of a of a sunset, a beautiful sunset. Oh yeah, I, I I forget who said this, but someone says it's it's almost like you, you, you don't just want to observe the joy, you you want to be, or observe the beauty of a sunset. You you want to be one with the beauty. Yeah, that was C.S. Lewis. Yeah. yeah, you want to bathe in the beauty, bathe in the sunset. You want to be united with it in, in, yeah. a, in a mystical way. So that's another, uh, yeah. if that was C.S. Lewis, of course it yes. was C.S. Lewis. And, again, and that, um, that uh, something C.S. Lewis points out is the connection with Christianity there is the way he puts it is all, all the leaves of the New Testament are right rustling with the, the idea or the hints that that will happen, yeah. that that can happen. Yeah. Right. So that like Paul talks about, we put off the perishable and put on imperishable, right? The language of glorification. Mm-hmm. The righteous being made like the stars of heaven. Yeah. Um, the idea of in the Eastern tradition is often called deification or theosis, that we're in our being united to God in Christ. We be we're in the resurrection, we're transformed into mm-hmm. glory and heart of beauty and goodness that we feel always distance from yeah this life. yeah the bible definitely speaks to it for sure very prominently all right ben so we touched on redemption already and in, in restoration but if you want to hit on that a little bit in more detail because because i i'd say probably the most powerful theme of gladiator is redemption um on a yeah. personal level we see we see the arc of redemption for 
a proximo who's who's a very cynical self-interested guy at the beginning of the film through his uh, friendship with maximus and his growing concern for rome as a whole well why don't why don't you hone in on um a little bit of proximo's story arc ben and tell us about about his redemption yeah so like you said proximo is is, is kind of cynical character can i do the proximo uh scoff yes ha <laughs> classic yeah so he, he used to be a gladiator he eventually was able to purchase his freedom um and now he he's the kind of ringleader or i guess owner of a particular group of these gladiators that maximus and juba are part of yeah he's very cynical about rome and kind of a vicious dude doesn't really care about the immorality of his work and stuff but through going on this journey with maximus throughout the provinces and learning about him and his story and on into Rome, he kind of softens and he starts to change and all the way to the point where um, in the kind of climax of the movie, he actually goes from being this totally self-interested person to sticking his neck out and trying to get Maximus freed where he's imprisoned in Rome. And Maximus has this classic retort, right? When he sur- surprisingly sees that Proximo is trying to help him. You want to die, old man? Yeah. Everything is prepared. It seems you have won your freedom. Proxima, are you in danger of becoming a good man? You, you be uh, Maximus, I'll be Proximo. All right. All right, so you're trying to get me out of prison. <laughs> no, 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 just, just say the one line. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay, well, then you don't have to do anything as Proximo. I no, guess. I do I'll have to do something. So oh yes, you're right. you're right. I forgot. Yes. Gosh, just roll with it, man. Don't <laughs> question me. Are you in danger of becoming a good man, Proximo? Ha! <laughs> yes, and thus ends Proximo's story arc. Sadly, the actor who who played him actually died during the film filming of that movie. Yeah, and I thought he did a great job in that in that movie. Proximo is is one of the most compelling characters in the film. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what the actor's name was. He was a very well-known actor leading up to that point. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. No, there you go. Yeah, so there's the kind of individual motifs, again, of redemption and what that means. But there is this more universal level um, of gladiator in terms of redemption, which is this kind of motif of restoring Rome right to her original original glory and her original purpose and restoring her from the kind of decadence and decay that she's suffering under the rule of Commodus. And Rome, you know, as portrayed in the movie, but as just we know from history, the idea of Rome kind of symbolized the height of human civilization and progress. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, the kind of end goal, right, and fulfillment of again, human society intellectually and culturally and civilizationally so kind of the idea of restoring rome to her true republican roots from being corrupted and removing right the evil ruler commodus we can kind of read that as maximus restoring true humanity to the romans yeah you almost see the the roman populace as as a mob that's what they're referred to multiple times in the movie by a lot of the by a few of the senators and the senate of rome yeah the mob I think Proximo refers to them as that. So you almost see Rome being transformed as a whole from this corrupt mob under the rule of Commodus to more dignified citizens of Rome when the the power of Rome is eventually handed back to the people right. and to the Senate at the end of the movie. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And to me, this is kind of, this is kind of similar to St. Paul's talk of what he calls, quote unquote, the Jerusalem from above um, in his letter to the Galatians. I think the, the whole passage is actually worth quoting. Uh, it's really epic and beautiful. So I'm going to quote it really quick to y'all. Quote away. So he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. He's referring back to Sarah and Hagar in Genesis here. And then he says, these things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So there's a lot kind of packed in there, as there often is. <laughs> with oh, yeah. Peter famously, in one of his letters, describes Paul as difficult to understand. <laughs> <laughs> But you see those broad themes there, right, in Paul, this, this motif of the, the two cities, right? There's the kind of present city, corrupt city of Jerusalem, right, that's compromised. But there's the true city, the Jerusalem that is from above, which later in Revelation comes down to earth and is the new restored Jerusalem. And now even now we're anticipatory citizens of the future restored Jerusalem. Yeah. So like fallen Rome, you know, Paul kind of conceives of the present world as currently in bondage to the Jerusalem from below ruled by an evil usurper, Satan. But Which, again, says, you can draw a direct parallel to Commodus exactly. and gladiators being the Satan figure. Exactly. Paul refers to Satan as the archon or the ruler of this world. But he says our true citizenship is in Christ, which is in the true Jerusalem from above, quote unquote. Because Paul is just so awesome, right? He makes a similar comparison between cities in the letter to the Hebrews when he says this, and I quote, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Yes, indeed. He portrays Christ as suffering outside of the city, right? Suffering our exile, participating in humanity and exile from the true Jerusalem, from our true home. Yeah. So that in being the exiled one, we can return home by being united to him in his resurrection as well. Some very beautiful imagery and allegory for from Paul using Jerusalem and the comparison of, of our citizenship ship in the true Jerusalem, which is heaven, as opposed to our exile right now in this world, but Christ suffering with us in this exile and suffering for us in this exile. So one day, Jerusalem will be fully present here on earth when heaven and earth meet in, in the last day. Yeah. So... Paul has a lot of rich texts, um, yeah. very dense at some points. And that's why Peter was tripping a little bit saying, uh, Paul, you need to chill. 
but Paul and gets of it course, done. Uh, you know from Luke, right? That uh, or no, Paul himself says that's one of his letters. He, he kind of shades Peter a little bit because <laughs> Peter was um, allowing people not to eat together because the Jews didn't want to eat with the Gentiles in the Church of Jerusalem. Yeah, and Paul's like, when I went to Jerusalem, I opposed Peter to his face. <laughs> <laughs> I love their little rivalry going on. So Ben, let's bring it home. Let's bring this episode home. Let what what are just I guess some final thoughts on what do you what do you see most powerfully in in, in the movie Gladiator? What's going to keep you watching it time and time again, and and what resonates with you, especially now um, in the midst of your Christian walk and journey? Now you're watching it at this stage in your life, and not 14, 15 years old anymore, but within life, more within the realization of the brokenness of this world and the suffering, but the ultimate hope of redemption that we have. Um, just give me some final thoughts on, on the movie and what it means to you and will continue to mean to you. I guess I would just reiterate most of what we said towards the beginning, like with most things, I guess, as you mature and experience, as you get older, more of what life throws at you. You appreciate more and more, right? Those sorts of motifs, like in Gladiator, like the the idea of suffering and the idea of delayed expectation, delayed hope, and having to to live in that tension yeah. of you know you have God has things for you to do, right? So He's delaying His return, or you know, hopefully delaying my death. We'll see. <laughs> um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, you can relate more and more, yeah, to what that is out of visceral existential kind of level i guess what about you yeah I, I i think my appreciation for gladiator and many other movies that meant a lot to me when i was coming of age it's it, it, it's a different appreciation for them at this point in my life but in a lot of ways a, a much deeper one because i feel like when i was younger watching gladiator it was a picture of what was to come but I more focused on the beautiful moments of the film, mm -hmm. the more epic moments. Now I feel like I'm in the midst of the film in a lot of ways, you know, deeper into this journey of my life. And I see the importance and the beauty in the smaller moments of Gladiator and, and, and in the suffering of Maximus throughout the movie. And just the, maybe the things that I chose to overlook when I was in my youth thinking, you know, we don't we don't need to suffer. I just want to become epic and and to have these beautiful experiences in life. But you realize beauty doesn't come without the suffering and they actually kind of work in tandem. And I wouldn't close out an episode without bringing in George McDonald. You thought you thought you thought we we're gonna get through this one without him, huh? I was recently listening to one of his unspoken sermons and he he was going through the Beatitudes. And one of them, the one he was going through was blessed are those who mourn that being a representation of some of the deepest suffering you can experience. And he describes it as, you know, suffering or mourning is not a good in and of itself. It hurts. It's not an ultimate good, but it's not an evil because mm -hmm. it's a catalyst of redemption. It's a catalyst of love. It's like the hinge on which we swing up to the heights. So it, it almost plays a critical role in all of our journeys and all of our stories and all of our redemptions and becoming the men and women that we ultimately need and want to become. And that is living fully in the image of God and, and in the image of Christ. 
with love being at the core of all of us. And the journey to that requires a journey, a, a tough journey, a journey of suffering. So it's not an evil. It's not an ultimate yeah. good, but it is the hinge yeah. on which the ultimate good swings. Yeah. Um, and again, and we that, can't think that because Christ is the, the perfect uh, human. He lived yeah. the perfect life. But as Isaiah describes some of this prophecy, right, that the Messiah is a, a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. Yes. And in the end, we have the hope. And this is the hope that we, everything will be restored, that we will be able to bathe in that beauty and live in that beauty one day. And in the meantime, we will suffer, but nothing is wasted. No ounce of suffering is wasted. No, no single tear that drops from anyone's cheek is going to be wasted. God is saving every tear. He's redeeming every facet of evil and suffering in this world and is making a beautiful tapestry. And he is such a good God that he's going to make it even more beautiful through the suffering than he would have otherwise. That is the God we're working with. And we will see the end and the beauty that he reveals someday. But not yet. Not, not yet. yet. All right. Amen. So how about we close out? Let's let's get rid of Paul here for a second. I'm always going to Paul because he's my boy. Let's let's go to John the Revelator. We got to close out pretty soon, though, Benny boy. Let's go to the apocalypse of John. And let's just uh, how about you read this time, Brett? So let's re read this selection towards the end of the book of Revelation or the apocalypse of John. OK, so we're going to John. Well, while I'm pulling it up, Ben, do a couple of your um, world famous impressions of gladiator characters oh man <laughs> okay let's hear let's hear let's hear some commodus uh, i just have to scream am i not merciful but i'm kind of sick right now <laughs> am I not merciful? you don't have to do his most intense scene i'm trying to think what's what's a good commodus line I don't know. I can't do Commodus right now. Oh, I'm, man. I'm too sick. You have to be intense and in an evil mode to do Commodus. I'll do Commodus. All right. You all can right, do right. you. Let's see. Who, you can do Marcus Aurelius. How about how about Marcus? How about you be Marcus Aurelius? I'll be Commodus. That'll be easier for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, take it the hard part. Your failure as a son is my fault as a father. That's the best compliment I can give. Failure. Father, do yes. you not love me? Do you not care for me, Father? You're all right. Just, just give me a hug, son. And just... I have other virtues. Passion. I love to sword fight with my wooden sword with my comrades. And I like to speak intently and intensely close to people's face. That is a virtue, Father, I tell you. I've studied a lot of philosophy, and that's some BS, Commodus. Those are what you call vices. <laughs> okay, there's my Commodus impression. All right, All right Ben, I, I don't know how I lost your quote, so I'm going to say you read it, okay? Right. I want you All to right. read it with some gusto. Right. Dropping the ball. With some passion. All right. Never mind, I got it. <laughs> Psych. All right. So this is this is from the end of uh, towards the end of. No, I'm going to do it, Ben. I John's have this book now. of Revelation. So this is toward the end of John's book of Revelation, and that starts with what word, Ben? Then I saw is the phrase. Okay. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then he continues, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. On that beautiful passage, we will conclude this episode of the Theo Bros Podcast. Episode number three, Gladiator. All right. See you next time, Theologizers. Yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you soon, Theologizers. This is the Theobros Podcast. <laughs>